You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. Sometimes we just make up our minds. We decide on a narrative, positive or negative, and once we've decided on that, very little changes the way we see things. What if I told you that we've done that in two different series in the NBA playoffs and it's impacting positively one team in the West and negatively in one team we're going to see Tonight, Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. There's just this moment where I listen to the way we talk about things, and I'm starting to think we've lost our minds. Like, when you think about the way we analyze everything that Ty Lue has done with the Clippers, it's all done through this rose-colored, oh my God, look at the adjustments. It's going to be perfect. It will always work out. And to a certain extent, I understand it. We'll get into their series in a little bit. But what's happening tonight, for tonight's matchup, is we've done the opposite. And I'm guilty of this too. Let me raise my hand quickly and high as as I possibly can. I'm a little guy. And remind everybody, I'm guilty of this too. But the fact is, the Bucs are down 0-1 in this series, and we've decided that A, it's because of Coach Budenholzer. We've decided that B, Coach Bud can't seem to get his way out of this. And we've decided that C, it's the reason the Bucs are doomed. But I keep looking at it and saying, aren't we having the same conversation from two different perspectives when it comes to coaching? Hear me out. I want to start with some straight talk. All right, this straight talk comes from Michael Wilbon. You know how much I love Wilbon on PTI when he gave everybody his thoughts on this series. The self-awareness of a 13-year-old boy. What are they doing game after game? There are things that you just look at them and say, what, what, what is this? How can this be planned? How can this be talked about? How can 30 plus 36, whatever, more three-pointers when you're dominating the area around the basket known as the paint? How can you do this again and again? And then you get off it for one game, you win that game, and Giannis doesn't take any threes, and you come back you know, three or four days later, and you go right back to it as if it's some irresistible treat. Two things that stand out. Milwaukee's lack of just figuring out who they are, who they ought to be. And then Trey Young. I mean, yes, it's the whole Atlanta team and the fact that they just don't seem to have any fear. They play with the intelligence of their coach. And Trey Young, I mean, in addition to just being a great player, and I I, I need to admit again, I'm one of those people who thought he gets in the league, he's too small, he's going to get moved around. Can he get that shot off? I was dead wrong. Not only is he great and now a superstar, but he's an entertainer. That's some straight talk brought to you by Straight Talk Wireless. Straight Talk Wireless. No contract, no compromise. I want to, I'm going to throw my guys for a loop here, guys and girls behind the scenes. Play just the beginning of that Wilbon moment one more time for me. I want everybody to hear exactly what he says, and I'll just cut him off. The Milwaukee Bucks seem to have the self-awareness of a 13-year-old boy. Okay. What are they doing? Now, that, that right there, the, the self-awareness of a 13-year-old boy, based on what? Based on what? On the fact that we don't love some of the adjustments, on the fact that it seems like they put themselves in some strange situations on game one, on the fact that they dug themselves in a hole. Sure, I'll give you all of those things. But then just explain to me why suddenly those are all reasons to commend the Clippers. Because last time I checked, the Bucks found themselves in an 0-1 hole. They found themselves in an 0-2 hole to Brooklyn. We gave up on them. And when those same things happen on the other side, we say, oh, look at the coaching adjustments. I mean, are we really going to sit here and just look at everything through the prism of Budenholzer is, is like incapable and suddenly Ty Lue is a brilliant, brilliant man? Last time I checked, they're both in the same spot. Now, I get it. Before you tweet me, and you can always tweet me at Jason Fitz, hate tweets count too. 
before you tweet me, I understand and uh, you know the nuance of the game. And look, this is totally different because of the way they're playing and adjustments are why we're praising Ty Lue. I'm just saying that some of the things that Coach Bud are doing are the exact same things that we praise out of Coach Lou. This is Mike Budenholzer. Uh, after the game, talk, or yesterday, I think, talking about the Bucks and, and the fact that they really need to get a road win no matter what because of the way game one went down. It's important for us just to take each game and um, and while they're incredibly important, you know, at the end of the day, it's a seven-game series. you got to find a way to win four. Um, certainly it'd be great, you know, to, to, to win at home. But any good team, any team that advances, usually you have to win on the road, whether you have home court advantage or not. I mean, think about what he said in there. This was his quote. You got to find a way to win four. You got to find a way to win four. Yesterday, when we talked to Kurt Sandoval out at ABC7, one of the things in L.A. I asked him about was what makes the Clippers so resilient. And he said it's the confidence that happens as Tyloo walks around the building, doesn't care if they've lost two because he always says, you need four. It's the same message. Yes, the delivery's a little different. I'm not dumb most of the time. I get that the delivery is different. But we have become so dug in on this concept now that Tyloo is just absolutely brilliant. The same Tyloo we were willing to give up on, by the way, a couple of years ago. And we become so dug in on the fact that Budenholzer is obviously incompetent that that's what gets us here. Without ever acknowledging that maybe, maybe the Bucks just had one of those nights. I mean, you start talking about one of those nights. Can we just acknowledge just acknowledge how bad the shooting was for Chris Middleton. You want to talk about somebody that needs to get in the zone. By the way, get in the zone for the Bucks. Even the series, get in the zone, brought to you by AutoZone. Get in the zone, AutoZone. Chris Middleton, 0 for 9 from three-point range. 0 for 9. He's never shot worse than 0 for 5 or worse on three-point field goals in uh, consecutive games, including the playoffs. So I'm watching a game that came down to the wire. I'm watching a game that had some, yes, questionable moments coaching-wise. But I'm watching a game where Chris Middleton simply forgot how to shoot a three-point basket. And it still took absolutely everything for the Hawks to win it. I'm not willing to make some sweeping generalization that all is lost for Milwaukee because the fact is, it's one game in the series. And what we've learned this year is simple. It is simple. It takes longer this year than ever to get a sense of how teams match up. I don't think that's some big hot take. I don't think that's some big strange take through all of it. It takes longer than ever to see how teams are going to match up. Ultimately, that's the thing that I'm going to take away from whatever we get tonight. Sometimes it's not the final score. Honestly. It's the way we got there. What do they always say? Especially you guys on Twitter. You will blow any of us up that you think uh, we're just reading the box score. It's like the number one comment we get back. You can't just read the box score and tell me what happened during the game. Well, don't just read the box score. Watch the game. What we had in game one was an incredible back-and-forth game. They could have gone either way, and it went the way of the Hawks, and that's incredible for Atlanta. But that's not some sweeping generalization that means that the series is over. And in the meantime, what we see in games one and two on the West, right? We saw two incredible games that came down to the wire. Could have gone either way, right? Like, sometimes the way you get to the end matters. And sometimes we have our minds so dug up, dug in, on who's good and who's bad, that we forget to look at the context around it. We got to do better, and that starts tonight.
You're listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. We've got Suns at Clippers coming uh, game four Western Conference Finals tomorrow night. That's 8.30 p.m. Eastern on ESPN Radio. And we watched last night in absolute joy as we watched a game that was back and forth. And I wasn't sure what it was going to mean for Chris Paul. And I wasn't sure what it was going to mean for Paul George. Well, as much as we can have the moment of PG hitting the big shot and turning around and blowing kisses to the crowd in our heads, I think Monica McNutt summed it up really well this morning on Keyshawn J. Will and Zubin when she talked about the promise and what isn't fulfilled yet for PG3. As consumers, we consume in moments, right? It happened as we literally followed, not to get too much on Twitter, but it was funny because you could see the dialogue being like, oh, we owe Paul George an apology. And then the free throws is like, wait, wait a minute, no, we don't. You know what I mean? Like that to me, signature shoe guys, you have those free throws in the conference finals in that moment. There's no question. There's just no question. You can't do that. Well, that's the and clutch so, gene. And, that, and that's, that's what it. we want out of your superstar is the clutch gene. And so for me, I think what has happened to Paul George is while if you dig into the numbers, terrific score, great NBA player, the promise signature shoe guy has just not been fulfilled. And yes, of course, before you at me, PG3. I mean, you can't give me all these numbers and in, in initials and expect me to get it right. I think Monica makes a good point. You know, we've got to look at things in bigger bodies of work. And that's one of the toughest things to do in this business. Uh, one of the analogies I make a lot is that we are required in sports broadcasting to write a book report after every single chapter. And as a result, while you might write the book report one way after the second chapter, by the time you get to the end, if you go back and read that same book report, you don't necessarily feel fantastic about what you said before. It's an inevitability because, frankly, as every game happens in a series, we get more context. And with more context, we get more understanding of what we've actually seen. The problem is what you guys don't really want to hear is radio where we all sit back and say, well, could be. Mike could, you know my favorite expressions. Mike could. Nobody wants that. We want big sweeping takes based on everything we see. So, of course, when Paul George misses free throws and all of a sudden the, the Clippers lose an important game, it becomes Paul George is incapable of the moment because he gave himself the nickname. You know, he, he's the one that donned himself playoff Paul, right? Like he's the one that did all of that. So now when he doesn't perform in that situation, of course, we've got to have big sweeping takes. And then you see in the next game, what's he do? Comes out fearlessly, hits the shots that they need, and then you turn around and say, oh, well, maybe this is Paul George. That's the problem with immediate reaction. You know, my music past always makes me think about what it would be like if you had to go back and just basically decide if you loved a band based off one song. You know, you sit down and you think your favorite song, your favorite band. Now you think of their worst song they've ever recorded. What if that song was the one that you were forced to then give your reaction to for the world to see? Because that's what we do on social media. And then you start to hear more and more and more, and you realize, man, that take was wrong. Or the opposite, the one-hit wonder. Oh, this band is going to be huge. And then you listen to more of the record, and you think, nope, this is, this is definitively not good. At some point, we've got to slow everything down and admit that what we've seen so far now, Let's look at the body of work from this series. We saw the first two games go the way of the Suns behind incredible efforts from Devin Booker, right? Behind incredible efficiency from DeAndre Ayton. I mean, the things we've been talking about for days that the Suns did well. And for everything they did well, it took every ounce of all of that greatness to eke out two wins, right? We can be honest about that. And now you get a game three where the Clippers come in 
And they absolutely just, especially near the end of it, I mean, they looked like the dominant better team. And so the easy thing to do now is to make big sweeping generalizations about Ty Lue, why it's going to be great, and why the Clippers are going to be great. But the reality of it is, we just don't know yet. This is, again, to the point I made earlier, this is Ty Lue, and he was talking about how he feels knowing how much belief the players have in him when he said this. It means a lot just to, you know, just for those guys to trust me, um, to understand that whatever I'm doing is, is the best for the team, you know, not for me, and I just want to win. And, um, you know, making adjustments, you know, sometimes it's, it's tough because adjustments mean some guys can't play, you know, some guys play more, and you got to be able to um, to accept that. And um, that's the biggest thing, but you have to communication with your team all year long and just talk about one common goal, and that's winning, and uh, all of our guys are on board, you know, so... You know, I take pride in making adjustments and try to do the right thing, you know, but these guys are the ones that have to go out and execute it. They've been doing a great job with that so far. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. Sarah doing a great job, by the way, hosting Around the Horn the last few days. Really proud to get to work with her, proud to call her a friend, and proud to do this show with her. Now, everything that Ty Lue just said was as cliche, boring, as what we heard from Mike Budenholzer earlier in the show. But now everybody nods their head and says, well, yeah, it's true. It's true because look at the adjustments he makes. It's true because look at what he's been able to accomplish. At the end of the day, what Ty Lue's been able to accomplish is he's managed to get a team that was in an 0-2 hole multiple times to dig out. But let's also acknowledge largely because of the Clippers, but 0-2 doesn't mean what it used to. In fact, if you go back all time, teams that go up 2-0 in a best-of-seven series go on to win the series 93% of the time. This year, teams that go up 2-0 in the postseason have only won 57% of the time. Now, yes, the Clippers are a big part of that. And Ty Lue gets a lot of credit for that. But we've got to start looking at these series in longer blocks before we can make any big generalizations unless we're just fearless about constantly being wrong. I'm not afraid of being wrong. I just don't want to put myself out there to be wrong without enough information. I'm not afraid to have a bad take. I'm afraid to have an uninformed take. That's something I take seriously. And I'm not sure in a best of seven series in this year's playoff, no matter which conference we're talking about, it's possible for any of us to have an informed series, uh, an, an informed opinion until we get more information. That's all I'm asking for is a little patience. By the way, again, don't forget Suns Clippers tomorrow night, 830 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Spain and Fitz, the podcast. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio, the ESPN app, Sirius XM, Channel 80. Taking you up to Game 2 of the Eastern Conference Finals. That's Hawks, Bucks, 8 Eastern on ESPN Radio. Don't forget to subscribe to the Spain and Fitz podcast, by the way, wherever you get your podcasts. Great way to make sure you keep up with both of us again. Jason Fitz flying solo tonight. ESPN Radio presented by Progressive Insurance. Progressive's home quote explorer changing the way you buy home insurance now. You can just go online, get a custom quote, save both time and money. Look at that. Learn more at Progressive.com. All right, let's head over to the Goodyear hotline. We're going to talk to Hawks great 1986 slam dunk champion Spud Webb, thanks to the MBRPA. And Spud, thanks so much for the time, and I really appreciate you joining us. As someone who has as much history as you have with the Hawks, what's it like, what's it like watching this playoff run from a distance? Oh, it's awesome because, you know... <laughs> Usually you're watching the playoffs and they're like, Spud, what's wrong with your Hawks? You know, and now now I can uh, put my chest out proud because the way uh, Nate McMillan and the way Trey is playing and 
and Collins and those guys, man, it's just uh, it's just a joy to watch, actually. Talk a little bit about Nate McMillan because obviously the turnaround's been well documented, but uh, when you look at a coach that's able to find sort of the heartbeat of a team midseason and turn them around, what's the key to that? Well, me and Nate played backcourt at NC State together, so we have a lot of history together. But uh, I just think that uh, Nate relates to these players these days. He uh, coached, you know, Indiana and all those, Portland, all those teams. So it's not like he, uh, he don't know what he's doing. He's 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 doing an excellent job, man. Whatever uh, philosopher he got going with uh, the young guys to get them to play like, uh, and, and and you can see that they genuinely like each other. So. That make it easy to play with. I think that's what uh, when we were playing, when I was with Dominique and those guys, we actually really liked each other, so it was easy to play with. You mentioned relating to players, and I think that's so interesting, Spud, because it feels like it's such an important part of NBA culture now. It's like being able just to have a real relationship with the players. How's that differ from when you played? Well, we played. You know, they, they you know you went out there and they told you, you know, you play this way and. Um, you know, you try to play with the system. Uh, I know it's a different system now with with all the three pointers and kind of wide open, and guys get to go play one on one, which is the talent they have in the NBA now. Is, you know, these guys are unbelievable. So uh, if you can't uh, hand check or, or put a hand on somebody, when you got that kind of talent where guys can get anywhere they want to on the floor, man, that would separate the stars from the superstars. Those guys uh, that are carrying teams. They can get anywhere they want to on the floor. We're talking to Spud Webb here on Spain and Fitz. Jason Fitz flying solo. And and look, Spud, I, I you know you mentioned Trey Young earlier. It's a joy to watch this kid play. It's electric. When you watch his game, what stands out to you as the best part of it? Well, the best part of it is to see a point guard that shoot all the time. You know, you sit at <laughs> home, you uh, you know, at night and enjoy seeing a point guard just come down and shoot. That's basically, but when you're that good and can shoot like that, man, and enjoy the game, when you look at Trey, he enjoyed playing basketball. And so when the games are start, you know, you can say he's small, uh, he's thin, uh, things like that. But once you throw the ball up and, and his competitive edge come out, uh, you know, that want to win and uh, he's doing whatever it takes. And he's playing team basketball. He's not only just shooting the basketball. So uh, it's a joy to watch him, man. And, uh, any guy that plays and enjoy playing and and you can see it on his face and the way he acted and reacted with the crowd that he loved playing basketball. So, Spud, if you were on the opposite sideline, what would you do to slow him down? <laughs> yeah, we sit around and talk about that. Like uh, They'd be like, uh, they need to stop him. Like, <laughs> uh, you know, <laughs> you, you look at some of the uh, what the coaches are doing in uh, Milwaukee, they got to figure out a way to try to uh, slow him down or stop him. I, I don't think you'd stop him. You might can try to slow him down and make other people beat you by, I guess, trapping early or trying to get the ball out of his hand. But, man, he's he got so much energy and getting around. is uh, I guess that's what's been tough for them to try to trap him. So, Spud, when you think Atlanta and you think about the Hawks and what this run means for the city as they continue to go through this run, you're a young team and you've got that sort of vibe coming out from the city that's just so behind it and so supportive – does it add pressure or does it uh, add momentum? Like, what's the impact for you as a player when you know what's on the line for the city you're playing for? Well, I think it's the pressures on Milwaukee. I think uh, uh, the uh, Hawks are playing with uh, with, with, with house money. Uh, you know, no pressure on them to go out and uh, win because nobody expected them. But 
I tell you what, watching the games though on TV, uh, you will see a lot of different jerseys in there from other teams. And when you start winning in Atlanta, man, you don't see a lot of jerseys. You see a lot of hog jerseys. So uh, it's just like uh, even you see Dominique jerseys still coming around the arena. But that's just the enthusiasm and uh, people in that city I have. If you start winning, they uh, they get behind you real well, real real good. And so when I watch the games now, you know you don't see no uh, Milwaukee jersey. You don't see the New York jersey. You see a lot of hog jerseys. We're talking to Spud Webb on Spain and Fitz. Are there guys from your playing days that, you know, you're texting when you watch this run go on? Oh, yeah, me, uh, Cliff Livingston, Tex, and then uh, Kevin Willis, he called, and uh, me, John Battle, all those guys, we uh, we still uh, talking. It was tough when Philly was playing uh, Atlanta because of Doc Rivers, you know, coaching Philly when we texting back and forth with each other. So, uh, you know, uh, those guys, man, they just as happy, man, because, uh, you know, Kevin Willis, you know, he called me. You coming to the game? You know, they so happy. You know, like, I'm going to the game and stuff like that. So, uh, a lot of the players, because they're so used to saying, oh, it's the Hawks. You know, they're not going to get far. And then when you get this far, man, they make every guy that played there uh, proud. And speaking of Kevin, they should retire his jersey. <laughs> <laughs> We're talking to Spud Webb on Spain and Fitz, and you know I, it's just so incredible because the Hawks really came out of nowhere in the minds of many. When you're a young team, and like you said earlier, you're playing with house money. I mean, is there a moment where it sinks in what you're going through, or or do, are you able just to keep all the noise out when you're young and you're in a position you didn't think you were going to be in in the league? Well, you can tell the way Nate talked to him is uh, in the huddle that he's keeping them humble. Uh, he's telling them, you know, keep playing, uh, like the way you're playing, keep doing this. But, uh, you know, uh, I think a team like that, they've been not on TV, not no superstars, not no uh, all-star, rather. Uh, you know, it kind of, they got the chip on the shoulder like, uh, okay, you don't want to put us on national TV. Well, you're gonna, we're going to force you to put us on there by winning. And ever since Nate took over, man, it's just been a joy to watch. I mean, they've been now, watch TV, man. Trey has been watch TV for for us to cut on the TV and see the Hawks. It's just it all, but that's like every year. I feel like we got to get to the playoffs for people to start finding these stars, and it's fun to watch. But like you're, I, I'd be remiss if I don't ask you at least one question about the Mavs. Uh, for anyone that doesn't know, you're the president of basketball operations for uh, the Texas Legends in the G League, uh, part of the Mavericks organization. So, uh, your thoughts on Jason Kidd coming over to join uh, join the Mavericks? I love it. I think it's a good idea. Uh, I think Jason can relate to the players. He's, you know, coached in Brooklyn and Milwaukee. So, uh, been on the bench with the Lakers. So, uh, I think he kind of see what, uh, you know, it, we, we make mistakes and we relate to different things. I think, you know, you're a learning curve and I think he's ready. You just got to get uh, the right players uh, around Luca. I mean, like the years when, uh, I hate to say it, the way they dom- dominate the ball, but you got to get some shooters around Luca. So, uh, that uh, he can uh, distribute that ball and, and score the way he scored because he's, man, he's a generation of talent. The day I first saw him, I was like, man, this guy is bigger than what people think and and uh, play play very smart. But when you've been playing in profession that long, I guess you catch on very fast. So hopefully uh, Jason and, and Nico and them can come in there and get some players to put around Luca that uh, they can start winning. I don't think they're far off. Spud, I can't uh, thank you enough. I know you got a game to watch and some enjoyment to have around this Hawks run. We really appreciate your time, my friend. Thanks for hanging out with me. Uh, Thanks for having me.
Spain and Fitz, the podcast. There is big NBA news over the course of tonight. Uh, obviously, with everybody talking about the Mavs, Jason Kidd coming back. It's something that's been speculated on. But before we get to any of that, I got to get a little baseball in. And it's funny because everybody knows I'm not baseball guy, right? I, I'm the first to just stand up and loudly say, hey, I'm not Mr. Baseball at all. But it is hard sometimes not to see the obvious that's happening in Major League Baseball. At some point, I thought we were all supposed to be watching pitchers get checked out every single time they did anything. I mean, uh, reaching for your head too many times is going to get you checked. We've got the mockery of players taking off their clothes on the sides while everybody checks their hands and says, oh, no, these sticky substances are absolutely the reason pitching is doing what it's doing. And then what do we get? Another no-hitter. Like, I don't want to oversimplify things. But come on. Like, can we not acknowledge at some point, as much as Rob Manfred and Major League Baseball have said they think it's working brilliantly? Well, is it? I mean, what's the point of all of these checks if, in fact, we're not finding anybody that has had any issues, and, in fact, we're still seeing no hitters? Maybe, just maybe, from a non-baseball guy's perspective, we need to acknowledge that right now, Pitching is ahead of hitting. And maybe we need to acknowledge that the change in approach that hitters have taken, which doesn't take a brilliant person to watch, is changing the way batting averages go and the way that no hitters go. Again, you don't have to be a baseball aficionado to look around and say, huh, maybe something here isn't just about whatever the substance is we think is on their hands. By the way, also want to give Phillies pitcher Aaron Nola a little bit of love. He tied Tom Seaver's 51-year-old Major League Baseball record most consecutive strikeouts, 10, on Friday versus the Mets. So again, another example of, oh no, see, this isn't about pitchers getting good. This isn't about hitters changing their strategy. This is obviously about whatever illegal substance they're doctoring the balls in their hands with. And then all of a sudden, you see them getting checked constantly, and we're still seeing tremendous success. Again, I'm, I don't think it's a bad thing to be checking, and I don't think it's a bad thing to be looking at everything within the sport to make sure you're doing everything possible to make sure that the rules are being followed. I have no problem with anything, frankly, that we're seeing right now from Major League Baseball. I'm just saying that if we're going to cause this level of chaos around the game, it better be for something. And what that something is, obviously, is still up for debate. Because we're not seeing it pan out with results where we can tangibly say, okay, yes, there's massive cheating going on. And it's also not changing the results of the way the games seem to be going. Spain and Fitz on ESPN Radio. Jason Fitz flying solo. Uh, The other big news, again, that I want to get into is Jason Kidd. Now, we talked to Spud Webb just a few minutes ago. If you missed it, check it out on the podcast. Spud talked about Jason uh, Kidd and, and why he thinks it's a great move for the Mavs, obviously. Bobby Marks, ESPN NBA front office insider, was on with me last night and didn't have as positive a review of the possibility at the time of Jason Kidd getting to the job when he said this. Having been with Jason in uh, Brooklyn in that 13-14 season, I thought Jason probably did his best work uh, after January 1st with a, you know, especially with a, you know, a, a tough locker room there. Uh, it didn't work out in, in Milwaukee. You know, he had Giannis before Giannis really became Giannis. I, I just think it's interesting because here's an organization that their image is not good as far as everything that's gone on in that office. You know, they had the scandal a few years ago. And now you go out and hire a coach who's had a suspect past. I mean, we all know, well, we're well aware of everything that's gone on in his off the court life and you know Mark Cuban turns around and goes in this direction and it's nothing against Jason Kidd as a 
coach or as a player, but I don't know. It doesn't sit quite right with me as far as that's the direction they're going. I think it's a strong statement for Bobby to make because Bobby knows Jason and the situation and the league as well as anybody that I talk to. And look, I said yesterday, at some point, leagues are going to have to start looking for different and new talent. But right now, don't we need to start asking questions of what's going on with the Mavericks? Like, as I've, I think the theme for today has turned into, do we have our mind made up on who the good guys are and the bad guys are, and we're unwilling to actually look at the context to figure out if we're right along the way? We've made our mind up that Shark Tank... Mark Cuban is incredibly lovable. And don't get me wrong, if I had a business idea that I could get to Shark Tank, there's nobody I'd rather be partnered with than Mark Cuban. Don't get me wrong, if I could pick from almost anybody in the NBA spectrum to have come on as a guest just to be able to hang out with, Mark Cuban would be near the top of the list. You can really appreciate the ownership group. You can really appreciate the managing partners. But it doesn't mean that you can't question what's going on behind the scenes. Now, there's been several articles written, I think The Athletic was the first one, about the -the behind-the-scenes issues that were plaguing this team. And those are issues that Mark Cuban dismissed, and he dismissed rather confidently. And then 24 hours later, all of a sudden, bam, GM gone, bam, coach gone. So we're supposed to pay no attention to the man behind the curtain. We're supposed to believe that nothing's going on. But then we see massive change coming. And what does that massive change lead to? It leads to an official agreement now between Jason Kidd and the Mavs to be their head coach and also longtime Nike executive Nico Harrison to be the GM and run their basketball operations. That's a massive, massive change in direction for a franchise. And all of this is being done while Luka Doncic is halfway around the world. I'll give credit. One thing that was stressed yesterday by Bobby and I think should be stressed now is we live in a a digital world, right? Anybody can get in touch with anybody no matter where they are in the world. It's funny. Back when I used to tour, uh, if I was going to Europe, I would have to get like a special phone plan. You'd have to buy different phones in different countries. Like, you know, if you were touring back then and you went global anywhere, it was incredibly expensive and incredibly tough to talk to anybody. So six weeks in Europe meant six weeks of really massive disconnect from your entire life. That's not the case anymore. Now, you know, you can easily get to anybody with Wi-Fi basically anywhere in the world. So it's not that they can do these things and they have to basically do it without any communication with Luka Doncic. But realistically, we all know, as has been pointed out by multiple people, temporary contracts are temporary. Whatever Luka's looking at to sign with the Mavericks only means he's going to get the most money he can. It doesn't mean that anything's locked in long-term. Now, one thing we talk about across the spectrum of sports is your window. And in the NFL, that means your window to win a Super Bowl. So when you're in that window, I think you have an obligation to your fan base, to your organization, to everybody around. When you've identified you're in the window that could win you a Super Bowl, you have to do everything you humanly can to make sure that you maximize that window. The window works a little differently in the NBA, in my mind. When you have young talent, that you know is locked in for the first six or seven years because of their contract. Once you've identified that that talent is transcendent, that that talent is worth building around, you have an absolute obligation to do it. You can't tell me Milwaukee didn't have an obligation to build the right way around Giannis. You can't tell me that the Hawks don't now know that they have an obligation to make sure Trey Young is in the best situation every single year moving forward. And you can't tell me the same thing about the Mavs. They absolutely have an obligation 
to be building the right structure behind the scenes to make Luka Doncic happy. Not just on the court, but off the court. And if they can't do that, no matter what the contract situation is, Luka eventually will find somebody that will make him happy. Thanks for listening to the Spain and Fitz podcast. You can listen to the show weeknights at 7 Eastern on ESPN Radio and on the ESPN app.